So I got good news for you. God never meant for you to live an average life. Romans 8.37 says, In all things we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And so God has called us not to live just normal, but he's called us to live lives that are flooded with abundance. He tells us in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come that you might have life and have abundant life. So I got good news as you sit here today. Uh, God never intends for any of us to live just uh, normal lives. I've heard people say over the years, well, man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of a million. No, you're not one of a million. You're actually one of about 7 billion, but you're not one of 7 billion. Based on Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one like you. You're unique. Your God made you. He's crazy about you. He's been pursuing you, and he wants to free you to embrace him in a full way. And so this is going to be fun as we get into this today. Now, I was, I was thinking about the question, uh, if you could ask God one thing, what would it be? Now, ponder this for a second. Say the Lord walks into the room, he taps you on the shoulder, he goes, uh, any question you've got, you can ask me, what would it be? A lot of us sitting here would say, uh, I want to know when Jesus is coming back, uh, right? With all the storms and with all the hurricanes and with all the fires and with all the famines and with all the foolishness going on in our nation. I mean, if we study scripture, it looks like the imminent return of Jesus should happen today. I want to know when you're coming back. Others would say, uh, I want to know when I'm going to die, right? I want to push it to the limits, but maybe get those last few days in order. Or maybe hey, if I knew I was only going to be here for a few more days, uh, I, I want to make sure that I live it to the full. What, what, would, what would be your question to God? I got on a website called collegenet.com, collegenet, and started looking at some of the questions from 18 to 23-year-olds. And the millennials think a little differently, but they think very similar to us as well. Here was one of them. Uh, I would ask God, why would he allow so much hatred and death and suffering in the world? Anybody ever pose that question to God? A couple sitting on the front row here in the first service. Uh, she is an assistant principal, and the principal at the school where she uh, serves uh, had a 12-year-old son die last weekend of cancer. And a lot of the teachers and others, I'm sure, are pondering the question, if God is good, then why does suffering and cancer and death take place. And that's a crazy one. That's a head scratcher for us. Here was another one. Why did God take my father? He was young. He had my, he had my graduation to attend, high school and college. He had a family to raise. He had a wife to love. So why did you take my dad? We've dealt with kids and we've dealt with others. That's a real question they have. There's a lady who's been attending here. Her, her husband died three years ago. She's got seven kids. Her husband was a lawyer, very sharp guy, and they've been pondering, probably those kids have, God, if you're good and you're fair and you're just and you're loving and you're graceful, why would you take my dad from me? Here's another, another one. I would like to ask God, what is his will for my life? I just want to know why I'm here. Why did God put me here? I want to serve him. A lot of times people pose that question to God. What's your will for my life? Let me go ahead and encourage you with something. Eliminate my life off of the equation and just ask him what is his will. His will is not hidden. It's in the scripture. 
He wants to share it with us all. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be holy. I want you to live pure lives. I want you to live lives that glorify me. Eliminate my life and make it about his will and see what happens. Here was another one. Typical college kind of question right here. I'd ask him why I had to go through so much hard crap. I hope that my future years are much better than my high school ones because they were the worst years of my life. Well, listen, baby doll, being 21 years old, thinking your high school years was the worst of your life, you hadn't started living yet. All of a sudden, you got confronted that you're not just entitled to everything properly. But a lot of us look at the last year of our life, the last two or three years, and we go, why has it been so rough? Why has it been so tough? If you could ask God a question, what would you ask him? Or should I say, have you been asking God certain questions and trying to have a breakthrough with him? Now, today we're going to be in First Chronicles, and we're going to look at the life of a guy who had a question or a request that he made to God. And uh, he kind of stands out in Scripture, if you will. First Chronicles chapter 4 will be there. But more than 600 names are mentioned in the first nine chapters of First Chronicles in the genealogy of David. Benji and I were talking the other day. He's reading through the Bible, reading through the Old Testament. And he's like, have you ever read through the Bible? I said, no, I've never read completely through the Bible. He goes, you're a pastor. Why haven't you read through the Bible, basically? I said, because I got the first Chronicles, son. (laughs) There's 600 names, and most of them I can't pronounce. And even if I could, I don't know who they are. And so I've gotten to certain pieces of Scripture before, and I'm like, let's jog through and... I'm not reading every word, trying to ponder every phrase. Now, I will study Matthew's genealogy of Jesus a little better, but there's been certain parts of it. And I'm like, I'm sorry if I burst your bubble, and here I am, your pastor, and you go, well, our pastor's never read the Bible from, from start to finish. No, he hasn't. And he would encourage you probably not to do so as well, because you'll get frustrated around Leviticus or somewhere around Numbers and Deuteronomy, even if you make it to First Chronicles, and you'll go, what am I reading? I would encourage you to read the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, but a lot of us get stuck, throw it aside, and never pick it up again. So good luck, son, as you get into First Chronicles. But as you read First Chronicles, you get to chapter 4, and this is absolutely crazy. I mean, you got name after name after name. And then you get to 1 Chronicles 4, around like verse 8, and you read about a guy by the name of Koz, K-O-Z. Then you get to verse 11, and it picks up with a guy by the name of K-E-L-U-B, Kalub. And right in between Koz and Kalub, you find a guy who became a rock star about 20 years ago in our country, in our nation, in Christianity. And he became a rock star Not because he was not already there, but he became a rock star because a guy by the name of Bruce Wilkerson decided to write a book called The Prayer of Jabez that has sold over 9 million copies that became like lifeblood for Lifeway Christian bookstores, and they sold them like chaps. And if you're not careful, you start to read it with almost a rabbit's foot approach, good luck charm approach, because even Wilkerson said In the book, if you read this and pray this prayer every day for the next 30 days, God's going to do something kind of cool in your life. But then Jesus said, don't don't let your prayers become repetitious phrases. And people, a lot of my Southern Baptist friends, hook, line, and sinker were all in to Jabez. 
But there he is. And who was he? And what was he about? And why did he get ink in Scripture? I mean, there's only 66 books of Scripture. How, how did he get honorable mention? I mean, he might not have been first team All-American, but he got honorable mention. How, how did he make it? And he didn't make it because of some great achievement. He never killed some giant. He didn't build a temple. He, he's mentioned in Scripture for one thing. He made a request to God, and he had a prayer to God. Two little verses. That's all that you see on the life of Jabez. I mean, his mom and dad are not mentioned. His siblings are not mentioned. Nobody else close to him is mentioned. Just Jabez. Pick it up with me in verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him with much pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my border coastline boundaries, that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm, and that it may not pain me. And God granted him his request. I want to pose four questions to you today, and I would encourage you to ponder these in your own journey right now. But four simple questions. Number one would be this. Are you seeking God? Are you seeking God? The scripture says Jabez called on the God of Israel. That's a serious question. Am I seeking God with my life? What does my time look like in the word, in prayer, in fellowship? in interceding and in sharing the love of Christ with others, would people look at your life and go, that person is a God seeker. They're, they're seeking the heart of God. They're chasing after the heart of God. They're responding to God's pursuit in their life. It, it's a real question. Are you seeking God? James chapter one says, if any of you lack wisdom, I think I'm speaking to a room that could identify with James when he looks at his first century followers and says, anybody out there lack wisdom? Anybody? Come on, show of hands. I use the odor it too, baby. I'm smelling good today. <laughs> anybody like wisdom? Then listen to what he says. Probably would be better to phrase it since you like wisdom. But if any of you like wisdom, what does the text say? Let him ask God. Jabez just asked God. He just Made a request to God. Any of you like wisdom? Let him ask God. And he says this. God gives to all people generously. God gives to all people uh, without reproach. Let, let him ask God. It will be given to him, but he must ask in faith. Now, we're going to build on that today. But are you seeking God? He must ask in faith with no doubting. So when you come to God, you must believe he exists, but I've got to seek him. Jeremiah says you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. He, he says in Jeremiah, don't boast about all this other stuff. You're going to boast, boast that you know me and you understand me, declares the Lord, because you're seeking me. I'm like, Jabez, dude, you made the scripture. No way. We're reading about you 3,000 years later. Your honorable mention. I mean, you didn't get Goliath, and you weren't like Solomon building the temple, and you didn't raise anybody from the dead. You prayed a prayer, and you made it. Tells a lot about how powerful our prayer life can be. 
But when you start to ponder this, Jabez doesn't say he had any special ability, any special talents, doesn't say he was gifted in any unique way, doesn't say he was wealthy, doesn't say he was educated, doesn't say he was some great prophet or great proclaimer preacher. He was not a ruler or a king. He was not a great warrior. He sought after God. So the fundamental question you and I have to ask ourselves is this. Am I seeking God? Have I eliminated the less wild lovers and elevated God and Christ to be on the throne of my life? Am I really seeking God today? I'm not asking you if you're going to church. I'm not asking you if you attend an occasional small group. I'm asking you daily, are you seeking God with your life? And only you know the answer to that, and only I know the answer to that. But when people are around you, do they notice there's something different about this person? Are you seeking God? Which leads us into the second question of the text is this. What are you praying for? He says, oh, that you would bless me indeed and expand my territory. Get this. Get this. In our name it and claim it kind of culture, oftentimes people want to equate blessing as to what it does for you. A lot of times in this culture of teaching, You'll find people talking about the blessing of God being you get more materialism. You get more money. It's all about you. That's not the blessing of God. The word bless me is not a a self-indulgent prayer. It's not a me-centered request. Get this, get this, get this. When he prays that you would bless me, what he is saying is this. Lord, let me be satisfied with you as being enough. Let me be satisfied that you're sufficient. You're enough. You'll meet all my need. You're all that I need. People say, no, 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 no. It's all, it's all about what God wants to do for you. Then why did Jesus preach the beauty of Matthew 5 that we call the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes? And Jesus comes out and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and weep. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You you see the word blessed oftentimes, people want to use it as if it's a good luck, hook me up, rabbit's foot. But it's not. When we start to live blessed lives, what we're saying is, I have to find my identity, satisfaction, sufficiency. I've got to find it in Jesus. And when so, you look at this text with Jabez. He's got, God, I I want you to bless me. I, I, I want to be satisfied with you. I want to believe that you're enough. I want to believe that you want to lead me and guide me and direct my life. I, I just want you to bless me with you. That's got to be our prayer. So you have to pose the question, am I, am I seeking God? Then you've got to tap the brakes and go, now what am I praying for? What are you praying for every day? So when we think of the word blessing, we think of experiencing the favor of God. Now I've said this to you and I'll say it again. I want you to get it. Luke 2.52 became one of those verses I prayed over our children. I prayed it over Rachel, Benji, Jesse, Hannah, and Caleb. 
And I prayed this over you, Rachel, when you were a baby. And I prayed it over you, Benji. But I prayed this where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and favor with man. So I was like, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to grow in wisdom, stature. I want them to get strong, but I want them to grow in favor with you, God. I want them to grow in favor with other people. What are you praying? What are you praying for your life? Is it that God just would eliminate the storms, that he would send Irma maybe somewhere else in your daily life? Because all of us are battling things at certain times in our journey. Harvey and Irma will hit us. In, 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 in the reality of our lives, we go through pain and pressure and turmoil and all this stuff happens with us. What are you praying now, here's the good news. It is God's nature that he wants to bless his people. Blessing meaning that they would be completely satisfied and filled with him. When you look at Genesis chapter 12, God is speaking to Abraham, and he says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What was he saying? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the entire lineage. I want to bless you. I want to give your name favor. I, I want you to find satisfaction in me. That's the reason when we cry out to God, we cry out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Ishmael. We cry out to this God. When you study the lineage of Jesus, where does he come from? He comes from that lineage where it says even Abraham was justified because he believed God by faith. He sought God. He pressed into God. And so when we start to look at this, it's like, I want to be blessed by God, but I want to be satisfied with you as being enough. Jesus plus nothing equals completion. Jesus plus nothing equals satisfaction. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Where do blessings come from? Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he goes, now you're starting to walk in the blessing. You're starting to know my word, my will, my ways. You're starting to tap into living a life beyond just the natural. You're living above it. You're living in the supernatural. You're not just handcuffed to logical thinking. You're able to tap into theological thinking. You're starting to get the mind of Christ. Paul prayed that for people. I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to be able to discern the things of God. So you've got to ask the question, am I seeking God? And then you've got to ask the question, what am I praying for? Now, the crazy thing when you study Scripture, just stay with me. When you study Scripture in the Hebrew, when Jabez prays, in the literal translation of the Hebrew, the wording is, bless me, bless me. In the English, it reads, bless me indeed. But when you go back and study what he was praying, he was saying, bless me a lot. 
Bless me today. Bless me tomorrow. Bless me into the future. Pour out your blessings and anointing in your hand on me, God. I want to be satisfied with you. I want to commune with you. That's how you start to live above average. Because you start to see disappointments as his appointments, and he starts to turn your mess into a glorious message, and you go, look at what God is doing. Because I'm walking in the blessing of the Lord. He says, I want you to expand my territory. I want you to give me more than I've had. I, I, I want you to expand my influence. I want you to expand where I'm going. And it's crazy when you start to read it. We'll get to it even with his name in the next point. But when you start to read it, I want you to expand my territory. He didn't say I want 100 acres or 1,000 acres. He said I want you to expand it. What he did in his prayer is he refused to put limitations on God. I'm not going to give you a lid, God, on my prayer. I want you to expand where you've got me. I want you to expand you and me. I want you to expand what you're wanting to do in this life. Have you asked God to do that for you? God, I, I need help. God, God I, I, I can't do it on my own. Here's what it's going to require. The third question, how strong is your faith? Am I seeking God? Am I really pressing into him in prayer? He says, let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm. Lord, I want to be free. I want to be freed up to serve you. So when you start to look at this dude, only two verses, but it appears that he had great ambition. And I love hanging out with people that are ambitious about life. People that are just kind of going through the motion and complacent and lazy and not determined. It's, it's hard for me to spend a lot of time there. But people that are ambitious, I go, I, I enjoy hanging out with him. And, and Jabez, I mean, he appears to display great faith in God that, God, you want to do something with me. God, I believe that you can do it. Now, if you read the scripture, the name Jabez, his mom said, I named him that because I bore him in pain. The name Jabez literally translates painful. 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 So when people saw him coming, they were like, there's painful. And he knew that his name implied handicap, hindered, limitations. That, that, that's been my name. But I'm praying to this God that I know is a name changer and a game changer. What names have people given you? Divorced, second rate, fat, ugly, unattractive, stupid. What, what names have people thrown your way? What names have you stuck to you? I made my dad real mad many times, but one time I was in the seventh grade, and I brought home my report card. I'll never forget this. Made him mad. And I had C's across the board because I was in the third of the class that made the upper two-thirds possible, so I was keeping with my status. But I had gotten a D in conduct. 
And my dad looked at me in a rabbinical voice and said, you might be dumb as hell, but you can act right. (laughs) No, he wasn't saying I was dumb, but he knew I was lazy. He knew I was not applying myself. But sometimes people have said things to you that imply handicap, that imply disability, that imply you can't do it. Those were many of the mind monsters I had to work through when I came to faith in Christ. You make a 550 on the SAT. You take 099 remedial classes in college your first semester. You're struggling. You're the first cash ever to graduate from high school. Nobody's ever gone to college. Matter of fact, none of us ever graduated from high school. And there was a lot of mind monsters where I had these limitations that I had placed on myself. And many of you are sitting there and you've allowed life experience of what you've gone through, the family you came out of, and certain things. And what you've done is you've empowered Jabez in your life. You've you've empowered pain, suffering, and turmoil. But I do want you to hear loud and clear that Jabez believed that God was a name changer. He was a game changer He can take Jacob and turn him into Israel. He can take Saul and turn him into Paul. He can take blind and turn it into seeing. He can take deaf and turn it into hearing. He can take lame and turn it into leaping legs. He is a game changer. What's your name? Beloved of the Lord. Saint. Joint heir. I'm not talking about your behavior last week defining you. I'm talking about what God says about you as your identity. And God is saying, I want to I free you. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God, they must believe he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. I've got to seek him. I've got to cry out to him. He wants to stretch my faith. And he's like, come, come on, I want you to live above average. I, I don't want you li- living in defeat, discouragement. You're more than a conqueror. No, you're more than a conqueror. You're my warrior. You can do it. And so God invites us to trust him, to place our faith in him. Here would be the next question, though. Are you believing God for an answer? I'm seeking God, I'm praying, and I feel like God's stretching. But are you believing God for an answer? I'm not saying are you believing God for the answer that you want, that you think gives you the most favorable outcome to do life the way you want it. But am I really believing God for an answer? Listen to this. Jabez, he he basically wanted three things from God, and I want you to think about it. He wanted God's power, God's presence, And he wanted God's protection. I need your power in my life. If I trust me to do what I'm praying about doing and you grant it, I'm not going to be able to do it. I need your power. I, I need the dunamis of God, the Holy Spirit of God that can transform these limited lips And this limited mind into doing something grand, God, you're going to have to do it. And I shared years ago, one of the first times I ever went out to speak, 
you got 20 minutes, go share. I shared five minutes, tapped out. I'm like, I'm stupid, I don't make any sense. I, I, I'm scared of public speaking. And I was like, I can't do this. I, I can't. And God goes, you can't do it. I said, no. He goes, you're in a great place. Do you believe I can do it through you? It sounds good, but I don't know what it looks like. Then trust me. Depend on me. Believe me. I'll give you words that you don't even know. And I went out the second time. And the mind monsters started to dissipate as I pressed into the Lord. Third time, they're dissipating more. Fourth time. And God goes, I can use you, but it ain't about you. It's about me, but you need my power. And every day I need his power. I need to be clothed in the power of God. But here's something, here's something so true in my life. You've got to keep dreaming and you've got to keep praying and you've got to keep believing. The day you stop dreaming is the day you start drifting. When you stop dreaming and praying and pressing into God, you will start to drift and drift and drift. I, I need your power. Then he said, I need, I need your presence. Let your hand be with me. Yeah, my, my, my name is painful. But, but you're changing my perspective. I'm believing that you're a supernatural God. If you expand my territory, that means I'm going to have more responsibility. <clears throat> and, and, and if I have more responsibility, it's going to imply that I, I'll, I'll need more wisdom. So I can stay where I'm at and trust my power. But if you take me to where you want me to be and you give me more responsibility, I'm going to have to have something greater than myself. I, I need your blessing. I need a deeper favor and satisfaction with you to drive where you're taking me. And I look at some of what's been happening here, and I'm like, man, I, I love to see over these last, just last year, where some of our younger people are starting to press into God and seek God and pray and believe God for the improbable. Not the impossible. With God, all things are possible. But the improbable. Josh is getting ready to leave tomorrow. Josh Lee, we're going to pray over you today. But he's taken off for six months. Hannah, his girlfriend, she was gone for months with YWAM. We're going to pray over you. But I start to look and I'm like, they're willing to step out of their comfort zone. Rager up here picking a guitar. He's leaving here. In about eight days, Patrick and Melanie took off, landed safely where they're going to be ministering down in Mexico. Trevor and Brittany, they took off to Spain. And I'm like, what we said we were going to do, we're doing. We said we would reach, teach, train, and send. We're training and we're sending. God can do crazy things in your life. It's not impossible. I met with Mitch Harris, a friend of mine, last week. And Mitch has a crazy story. 
Mitch's in-laws attend church here. Mitch came out of high school, and he went to the Naval Academy. They're wanting to turn his life into a movie, and all kinds of crazy stuff is starting to happen with Mitch. But he went to the Naval Academy, and after two years at being at Navy, he had to sign a two-for-five deal, which means if I stay there another two years and receive the education, what I'm agreeing to is five years of serving our country. So Mitch signed it, showed me a picture of him signing it. So he finishes his senior year, graduates, and he spends five years at sea as a, as a Navy guy, officer. And after his five years was up and he was released from the Navy, he went out and the cardinal said, we'll give you a chance. Well, nobody in 94 years had made it to the major leagues from the Naval Academy. And a lot of people looked at Mitch and said, it's impossible but because of his faith and trust in God, he concluded, no, it's improbable. But with my God, all things are possible. You sit there today, and I want you to think about this, living above average. As you seek God, as you pray, and as God stretches your faith, and as he leads you to this place of believing him, where you're gaining more power, and the perspective and presence of God is being manifest in your life, I can tell you in man's opinions, it might be improbable, but with our God, all things are possible. Jabez, man, that's a courageous prayer. You're a beat up little dude. Your life doesn't really have much value. It, it, it does if it's in the hands of God. It does if it's in the hands of God. Whose hands is your life in? A basketball in my hand is a friendly game of horse. In Michael Jordan's hand, it is a brand of millions. Whose hand is your life in? A golf club in my hand is a whack job, hook and slice. But in Jordan Spieth's hands, it's a nice little payday for a 20-some-year-old kid. So when I start to look at whose hand, Psalm 1835, the psalmist said, your right hand upholds me. Your gentleness makes me great. Psalm 63, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I would highly encourage you to, to, to start praying and pressing in saying, Lord, I believe you. I believe you're enough. I need you to guide me. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your protection. I need your blessing. I need recall. I need you to do what you want to do through this earthen vessel. And then he prays that God would protect him. I want you to protect me. My name's not my identity. My identity is in you. I'm not going to be labeled disabled, handicapped, limited any longer. Jabez knew that pain could affect an individual's life. But he also knew that God could set you free from that type of pain. So whatever you're going through, God can set you free. He's big enough to take away your sorrow. 
He's big enough to take away your hurt. He's big enough to take away your guilt. He's big enough to take away your shame. He's big enough to take away your pain. He's big enough to set you free. Now, I, I, I want you to get this. Say no rabbit's foot prayer. But I think the four questions invite us into a deeper communion with God. The last part of verse 10 says, and God granted him what he requested. Jesus again said, you have not because you Amen. By the way, you have not because you don't ask. You're not experiencing what I want to do because you're not leaning into me. God wants to break us. God wants to shape us. We can live above average. Even next week as we look at how do I deal with failure? The next week, how do I process stress and discouragement, even some depression-style stuff. How do I deal with that? We're going to break it down, but God has called us to live above average. It was about nine years ago we were at Mount St. Francis Retreat Center outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a Catholic retreat center, and the former ministry I was with, we went there just to get away and spend some time in prayer and planning and while we were there, we met this dude by the name of Bob. Bob was a Franciscan friar. And we started hanging out with Bob, and Bob got ambushed by the gospel while he was living on the streets, alcohol and drugs. But some brothers, some Franciscan friar dudes that really loved Jesus, had extended the hope of Christ to him, and Bob got saved, and Bob was really excited about walking with Jesus. So we hung out with Bob. It was a great time. Hung out with him late one night, and we got ready to leave on a Sunday to get out of town. And he goes, you guys mind if I give you something? I'm like, absolutely. He takes us down to this little Catholic bookstore, and he says, uh, I'd like to give you a book on the life of St. Francis of Assisi. I'm like, I, I, I'd be delighted to have that. Now, we accredit St. Francis with a saying, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Francis was a sharp pursuer of Christ. He came out of a family of wealth and he ended up walking away from his family inheritance because he wanted to serve the poor. He was Mother Teresa before Mother Teresa was Mother Teresa. St. Francis had a heart of extending the love of Christ in that book, he makes a statement. There was this little thing called the Franciscan Prayer of Discomfort. It's in your bulletin. But listen to what he said. May God bless you with discomfort in easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, 
and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And the blessing of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies be upon you forevermore. Amen. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done.